We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, we are going to be starting a new section of 1 Corinthians. So we have a new series. That series is called Built to Last. Built to Last. And the reason why we've called it Built to Last is because Paul is writing this letter because he has some genuine concerns about the longevity and the staying power of this local church. Paul does not question whether or not God's mission is going to continue. And we know from the book of Acts that the first disciples, the apostles, believed that God's mission was going to be accomplished by the local church. You just have to look at their patterns of behavior. What did they do? They went to an area. They shared the gospels, the, uh, the gospel with people there. They made disciples of those people, and then they gathered them into a local church and said, okay, now you guys, as the local church in this town, continue the mission by reaching the people. So they they understood that God's plan was to use the local church to accomplish the great commission of of reaching people and making disciples of all nations. But Paul here in Corinth, he's recognized that there are some major problems in the the church of Corinth. And we we said earlier, uh, if you go back to the first couple chapters, we know that one of the problems they had was that they were fighting over who was the better leader. They were in this great preacher fight about our preacher's better than your preacher or we like this guy's style better than this guy's style. And they were constantly comparing their leaders. And, and so Paul's already corrected that a little bit and he's going to do that a little bit more this morning. But we also know that part of their other problem was they were not bringing God's wisdom to the world, but they were taking world's wisdom and bringing it into the church, which is a major problem. Because God's wisdom and God's power do not line up with the world's wisdom and what the world would call success or power. And so Paul's saying, look, you guys have this backwards. He says, I'm really concerned. I'm concerned that this church is not going to be one that's going to last for the ages. Not that God's mission is going to fail, but that this local body is not going to not going to be successful in taking that mission forward. So we've got to address some things. So we've, we've titled this series for over chapters 3 and 4, Built to Last. And this morning we're going to see that, that the local church, because it's made up of individual Christians, the local church is constantly under construction. It's constantly under construction. And we're going to talk about how, as a church that's under construction, do we continue to move forward and make sure that, that what we're building is something that is built to last. Because we know that God's mission, the gospel, making disciples, are things that are meant to last for all eternity. And that's something that we just celebrated here this morning. That life change is a change that is meant for all eternity. And the question is, as a local body, will we be a part of that? It's sad to see. It's sad to know that in America, there are more churches closing their doors every year than there are new churches being planted new churches that are starting. It's a sad reality. And it's not always because um, sometimes there are just financial issues, but a lot of times, uh, I read a book uh, about a year ago, and the, the author of this book says, why is it that the church in America appears to be failing? When Jesus has already said that when he speaks to Peter, he says, blessed are you, Peter. When Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God, he says, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because man has not revealed this to you, but God has. And I tell you that upon this rock, I will build my church. The rock that Jesus speaks of is the confession that he is Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And that we're saved through that. And then he says this, and I tell you that the gates of hell will not be able to hold it back, to withstand it. 
So why is it that the church in America is not breaking down the gates of hell, but it appears the exact opposite is happening? And the author of this book said this, that perhaps not every church is God's church because not every church has joined God on his mission. And it's sad because, to be honest, I, I see a lot of things happening in churches in America, but it's easy to get distracted from what our true mission is. And I think that's Paul's concern. Paul's concern is not for the mission of God, but for this local church. And so he's going to take some time to remind them of some important things. So I want us to look this morning, starting in chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says this, Brothers, I was not able to speak to you as spiritual people, but, but as of the flesh, as babies in Christ. I gave you milk to drink, not solid food, because you were not ready for it. In fact, you are still not ready, because you are still fleshly. For, there is, for since there is envy and strife among you, are you not fleshly living like unbelievers? For whenever someone says, I follow, I'm with Paul and another, I'm with Apollos, are you not unspiritual people? Now I want to take a second and remind you that what Paul is saying here, at no time does he question the salvation of the believers in Corinth. I want to make that absolutely clear, and we're going to see this played out a little bit further in this passage. But I want to be sure before we go any further that what Paul is talking about here and what he's going to talk about in this passage is not about eternal salvation. Salvation is and always has been and always will be by grace alone, through faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. And Paul says once you have that, once you have put your trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone, Scripture tells us that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells us in John 10 that you are mine, my sheep know my voice, they are in my Father's hand and no one can snatch them from my Father's hand, no one can snatch them from my hand, which means that you are eternally sealed in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. So what is in view is not salvation, but we're going to talk a lot about our, our eternal reward. We know that there's two judgments that are coming. There's a judgment between believers and unbelievers. We will stand before God and we will, we will give an account for whether or not we have put our trust in Christ or not put our trust in Christ. John three sixteen. many of you know this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The next verse says this. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that he might save the world through his son. For whoever believes is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. What is Jesus saying? He's saying that it is not your sin that sends you to hell, it's your disbelief that sends you to hell. That's what separates believers from unbelievers. You either put your trust in Jesus Christ and your sins are completely forgiven, trusting that Christ and Christ alone paid the penalty for your sins, or you disbelieve. You disbelieve and you're separated from God for all eternity. That's the first judgment. The second judgment is actually of believers. And we use the word judgment, but it's really not a fair, uh, in, our, in our modern terms, it's not really the, the right way to think of it. It's more in terms of, um, it's still a judgment, but it's, it's a matter of will you be rewarded or will you lose out on rewards? And that's what Paul has in view. And so he's speaking to these people and he's telling them fleshly. And as we go on through the book, you're going to understand just how fleshly and messed up they were. They had some serious problems going on in the church in Corinth. And I just want to encourage you, perhaps you are here this morning as a believer in Jesus Christ, but you have some deep struggle in your life, some sin in your life that you are really struggling with and you feel like you're failing. And I want to encourage you that, that you are in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And you do not have the power to change that, but he does. God does. 
And as you walk with him, as you, as you have other believers come alongside of you, you can see that life change taking place. But it's not going to be by your own wisdom or by your own power. We covered that in chapter 2. And I'd encourage you to go back and listen to those messages. And so I, I just want to encourage you that if you are in Christ, you are his forever. But this is a matter of how will you now live that you are in Christ. And the reality is this, that it is possible for us to be in Christ but not fulfilling our calling to live like Christ. That is a very real and sad possibility, and that is the reality of where people are in Corinth. And Paul says, this should not be the case. He says, yeah, this is a possibility, but this is not what God intended. God has more for you. If you want to know a little bit about how sad it is, Paul calls them babies. This church is now five years old. These are people who've been following Jesus for five years, and they're still babies. They should be adults. They should be out on their own. You want to know how, like, a great mental picture of this? Google this. Maybe don't Google this. Make sure filters are on. But Google search adult babies, right? There are adults out there who live their lives as babies, and it is sad and pathetic as it sounds. Like, they have adult, like, adult diapers, not adult diapers, like, depends, but like real adult diapers that look like babies. They have pacifiers, bottles, they sleep in cribs. It is messed up. All right, get that mental picture. And if you can, uh, I know we have to eat in a little bit, but with that mental picture, think about that spiritually. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying spiritually, this is how sad and pathetic you are. You're like a 35-year-old living in a crib, drinking from a bottle, wearing a diaper. That is sad and pathetic, right? Can we all admit that? Yeah. All right? Now, so Paul says, okay, here's the evidence that you guys are spiritual babies. You're still fighting among each, amongst each other. One of you says, I'm with Paul. One of you says, I'm with Paulos. Later, he's going to say, some of you say, I'm with Cephas. There's these, all these other leaders. All you guys are doing is just comparing preachers to other preachers. And I want to challenge you as a church this morning. How many of you, just think for a second, if I were to say, hey, next week, we're going to have someone like Billy Graham or Matt Chandler or Matt Carter or Francis Chan or John Piper or one of these other pastors. How many of you would immediately go out, put that on Facebook, you'd go and you'd grab your friends, any of your friends, all of your friends, and you would bring them to this service next week. We'd probably have to have five services because the room would be so filled. Now, why is it that we don't have the same excitement when we say, hey, it's going to be Charlie or, or one of our elders or Stephen or one of our other staff members that's going to be preaching? Why do we not have the same excitement? Is it perhaps because we've started comparing preachers? And I got to tell you personally, this is something that I've struggled with for a long time. When I sit down to start my sermons, there was a long time in my ministry when I thought, okay, I've got to outdo the last sermon. I got to be funnier. I got to have better illustrations. I got to connect with people in a different way. And, and, And I'm not try to excuse and say that it's okay to be lazy in writing sermons. That's not my point at all. Um, But our mentality when we come to hearing and teaching and preaching of the word of God should never be in comparison to what someone else is doing. Paul's going to make that absolutely clear in this next section. Paul says this. Paul says, let's look at verses 5 through 17. He says, what then is Apollos and what is Paul? They are servants through whom you believed. And each has the role the Lord has given 
I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. Now, the one planting and the one watering are one in purpose, and each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's co-workers. You are God's field, God's building, according to God's grace that was given to me. I laid a foundation as a skilled master builder, and another builds on it. But each must be careful how he builds, for no one can lay any other foundation than what has been laid down. That foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious for the day. It will disclose, and dis- and for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. If anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a, a reward. But if anyone's work is burned up, it will be lost, but he will be saved, yet it will be like, one, like an escape through fire. Don't you yourselves know that you are God's sanctuary and that God's, the Spirit of God lives in you? If anyone destroys God's sanctuary, God will destroy him. For God's sanctuary is holy, and that is what you are. So I have a number of questions this morning in your bulletin. You'll notice that rather than statements, I have just questions that are raised by this passage that I want us to answer. Questions like, first of all, what is being built? Second of all, whose building is it? Third, who builds the building? What kind of materials do they build? And what are the types of builders that we see in this passage? So I want us to first stop and say, what is being built? Well, very clearly, Paul tells us in verse 9, he says, you are God's field, God's building. And then in verse 17, uh, verse 16, he says, don't you yourselves know that you are God's sanctuary? Some translations say temple and that the spirit of God lives in you. So what is being built is God's field, God's building, God's sanctuary. This is what is being referred to here. Paul is not talking about the individual Christian. Later on in chapter six, he will use the term that you are God's sanctuary Uh, to refer to the individual Christian. But what Paul has in mind here very clearly is the local church, all the members, all the people coming together. This is why as River Rock Bible Church, we say we don't go to church, we... Oh, that was weak and pathetic. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. There's coffee in the back. Let's try that again. We don't go to church, we... Are the church. Thank you very much. We don't go to church, we are the church. Church is not a building. Church has never been about a building. Church has never been about whether or not we meet in, a, in an elementary school or we meet in a school that used to be a church. Church is the people. And Paul is pointing that out to them. He's saying, look, you are God's sanctuary. Now, it's important to understand. Some translations use the word temple here. And I want to point something out. There's two Greek words for temple. The first one is one that that in Jewish terms would have been used to refer to the temple complex. If you think about the Old Testament, there was this big temple grounds. In the pagan world, it was, it was used to refer to the big, massive outside of the temple. But within both the Jewish temple in Jerusalem and the pagan temples, there was an inner sanctum. In the Jewish faith, it's called the Holy of Holies. It was the sanctuary. It was where they believed God physically dwelt. And the pagans, that's where they believed their God lived. And what does Paul say? You are, it's naas is the word. He says, you are God's naas, God's sanctuary, the holy of holies where God's presence dwells. This is a big deal. God's spirit 
dwells among us, not just as individuals, but as a body. And Paul is saying, look, when you're fighting with each other, when you're arguing with each other, when, you're, when you don't have the right actions, the right attitude, or the right motives, and you're not going in the right direction, what does that say to the world about God's dwelling place? When you're fighting with each other, does that really inspire the rest of the world to want to come and be a part of God's dwelling place and be where God's spirit is supposed to be moving? Or is it turning them away? So what is being built here, what Paul has in mind, is the local church. Paul is talking about the local church, so he uses a number of different terms to refer to them, but whose building is it? Whose building is it? Let's look at what Paul says in verse 9. Verse 9, you are, what's it say? God's field, God's building. All right, and then verse 16, don't you know that you yourself are God's sanctuary and the spirit of God lives within you. So whose is it? God's. Here's the problem. The people of Corinth were saying, well, this is Paul's church because Paul planted it. This is Apollos' church because he's now teaching it. Or this is Cephas' church. Or to put it in our terms, this is Pastor Charlie's church. No, it's not. Here's my favorite one. I imagine there was a lot of this going on in Corinth. This is my church. I got to tell you, growing up, I was guilty of that. Hey, I want you to come to my church. When I was a part of a church where it was congregational-led instead of elder-led, there was a lot of fighting within that church because, well, I don't think you should be spending my money at my church to do this. I don't think the colors of the walls at my church should be this color. And people, literally, churches would split over like carpet or tile. Because I don't want carpet in my church. I don't want tile in my church. This is my church. I don't like the music so loud in my church. I don't like the style of music in my church. Do you see the problem? Whose church is it? God's? All right. Everybody say this. This is not my church. This is not my church. Let's say that again. This is not my church. This is God's church. All right. Now that we have that settled, whose church is it? Okay, great. This is God's church, but what do we know? Who is the one building God's church? We know that Paul says very clearly that God makes it grow. God is the one who gives the growth, but here's what happens. God invites us into the process to be builders along with him. God says, hey, I can do this all by myself, but I want you to do it with me. When I get home, I have, I have two toilets that are kind of leaking And so I've got all the insides that I'm going to replace. And guess what my boys are going to get to help me do? They're going to help me replace the insides of those toilets. Could I do it all by myself? Absolutely. But is it important for them to learn how to do this? Absolutely. There's something that they will learn by being a part of helping fix those toilets. There's something that God has for us when we join him in helping him build his church. And so Paul says this. He says, what what then is Apollos? What then is Paul? They are what? They are servants through whom you believed. And each one has the role the Lord has given. So Paul is saying, look, you can't start comparing pastors and teachers and preachers and you can't start comparing different roles because everybody has a different role. 
Everybody has something different that God wants them to do, but everyone is meant to be a part of it. And the reality is that actually this section, specifically verses through uh, 5 through about 15, are specifically directed towards the leaders of the church. Because their, their leaders were fighting. But Paul's point is he's writing to the people about their leaders. So the, there is a very clear distinction, not in, in, um, in terms of responsibility, because we know that we are a priesthood of believers and everyone has the responsibility to be a part of it. But in terms of function, right? There's different functions. There are those that God has called to lead and, and there are those who are just called to be a part of that building. And so Paul wants to remind them, hey, look, when you're looking to your leaders, you've got to realize they're just servants. They're just servants. The term he uses there means waiter of tables. They're just supposed to be waiting tables. And you guys are putting them on this pedestal and you're fighting over which one's better. Neither of them are better. God is the only one that matters. God is the only one that matters. Stop fighting over which is the better leader. And so he goes on, and rather than comparing people and taking sides, Paul is also trying to... to offer a warning to those who are trying to step in and lead. He's like, hey, look, you got to understand that God is going to judge you. God is going to judge how you've built this church. And it's really sad. We talked about how churches in America are failing and many are closing their doors. But what's really sad is that Paul says, hey, there are going to be some that make it to the end. There are going to be some of these churches that look like they're growing by the world's wisdom and by the world's definition of success. They look like they're doing a great job. But when the time comes and the leaders of that church, the people of that church have to pass through Jesus' refining fire, everything that they built up is going to be gone because they built on the wrong things. They built with the wrong materials. Rather than building on making disciples who make disciples, reaching the lost, what really easily ends up happening is, hey, we're going to build on on great worship, we're going to build on great preaching, we're going to build on great programs, and there's nothing wrong with those things. But they have to have a purpose. And sadly, too often, all of us, pastors, elders, church members, we get so focused on the wrong things. And without realizing it, we're building with the wrong materials, we're building with the wrong things. So Paul is warning teachers, but He's also warning everyone. 2 Corinthians 5.10, he says this. 2 Corinthians 5.10, says, For we all, for we must all appear before the tribunal of Christ so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or worthless. He's speaking to believers. He's saying, look, you too, not just your leaders, but you too are going to be called into an account for how you built God's church, for how you built on his mission. I can think of nothing more frightening for me than to stand before the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings empty-handed. Because everything that I built with, everything that I did, came to nothing. And I got to tell you, this passage this week forced me into a long time of prayer and evaluation of God, am I building with the right things? Are my attitude, actions, and motives in the right place? Am I leading our church in the right way? Are we pursuing the right things? Am I getting too distracted by the world's definition of success? God, show me this because I don't want to stand before you empty-handed. I don't want to have have led your people in a direction that is not going to allow them to stand before you and come before you with great, magnificent gifts because of what they have done in your name. Not for our glory, not for the glory of the name River Rock Bible Church, because let me tell you this, I know some of you are visiting here this morning from other churches. This is not about our church. This is about what God has called followers of Jesus to do. 
So whatever you hear this morning, I hope you'll take it home to your home church and put it into practice. Some of you here this morning may say, you know what, I didn't like that guy. I didn't like his style. I didn't like the way his hair was falling out, whatever. Uh, I'm going to a different church. Great, go to a different church. But everything that we've talked about this morning is still based around Scripture. And I want you to go do whatever we talk about this morning at whatever church you end up at. If you can't give, serve, and attend uh, this church, if whatever reason you don't like me, uh, you don't like the people here, find a local church and do these things there. Be a part of building that local church that is reaching the lost, that is making disciples who make disciples, because we all have a part of building, being a part of God's building. We have the privilege of being a part of that. Next, we wonder, well, what are the building materials? What are the building materials? 1 Corinthians three eleven through 12, Paul says this, For no one can lay any foundation other than what has already been laid. The foundation is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on that foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. And then he goes on and he says that, hey, the the good things, the things that matter to God will last. The things that distracted us or the motives that we had that were wrong are all going to be burned up and they won't matter. They're going to be gone, wasted away. So I want us to look at this chart real quick, and we can just go ahead and jump to the last one. Um, what is our foundation? Our foundation is Jesus Christ, and Paul says, no other foundation can be laid. And when he says no other foundation, he's not saying a foundation of the same type, because there is only one type. But what was happening is there were people who were coming along, and they were not just preaching Jesus Christ and Christ alone, they were preaching Jesus plus or they were preaching something other than Jesus. And he says, look, you can't lay a foundation on top of another foundation. And you can't even try to build the same building if you lay a parallel foundation, right? If you lay a parallel foundation, which is Jesus plus, he says, you're already building with the wrong stuff. If you were lay a foundation other than Jesus and Jesus alone, you get the wrong foundation. There can be no other foundation on which the church is built. It is Jesus Christ and Christ alone. And then he lists two categories, gold, silver, and precious stones. Precious stones don't think like diamonds and rubies, but think more like marble and granite, okay? And then he lists wood, hay, and straw. Apparently, this church is being built by the three little pigs. Uh, maybe there's some bricks in there. So three little pigs are building this, this church, but he breaks it down, and I found this in one commentary that I read. There's the permanent versus the passing. There's the beautiful versus ordinary and ugly. There's the valuable versus that which is cheap. And there's that which is hard to obtain versus that which is easy to obtain. And let's be honest. I think every single one of us has found ourselves from time to time in this category. That we're pursuing things that are passing, ordinary, ugly, and cheap. And why? I think because they're easy to obtain. They're easier to obtain. It's easier to just run after big numbers or big programs or big budgets or, or the things that look good on the outside. It's much harder to run after the things like righteousness, humility, service, sacrifice. Those things are hard to obtain. They have to be farmed. They have to be mined out of us. And they are not done on our strength because we know that it is God who gives the growth. Finally, we come to the types of builders. This is where I intended to spend most of our time, um, but um, unfortunately, I've talked too much. Um, But I do want us to look at this. There's three types of builders that Paul's going to list here in verses 10 through 15. And the first one he tells us is the skilled master builder. The skilled master builder, the wise builder. 
This is the one who builds with the gold, with the silver, and the precious stones. These are the things that are important and that matter to God. These are things like prioritizing worship with his people. Things like uh, proclamation of the gospel, praying for one another, being an encourager instead of a, a critiquer. Coming alongside of other people, bearing burdens, making sacrifices financially, sacrifices of your time in order to serve God's kingdom. These are the gold, silver, and precious stones. If you were to study the Old Testament and you read about the precious stones, you'll know that God gives them the command that all the chiseling, everything was meant to be done out at the rock quarry. That there was not to be the sound of any hammer or chisel at the actual temple site. And these stones were crafted so expertly that by the time they got to the temple site, they could be laid and they would fit perfectly. They wouldn't slide. And you can imagine how how bad it would be. You've seen some houses that have been built not so well and things don't match up. You know, things shift around. Things get out of place. And how hard it is when you have materials that don't exactly line up. I mean, there's only so much caulk you can use to make that gap fit. And so these things were, they were chiseled and refined so that they would fit together perfectly. Peter tells us that we are living stones. We are the living precious stones that are, that are fit together perfectly. But here's the reality is that we have to let God's Holy Spirit work on us and chisel away the rough edges. Otherwise, it's like trying to come together and there's still the rough edges there and things don't sit right and it wobbles. We have to be willing to let the Holy Spirit chisel away at those things. But the great thing is this, that we know that none of us is perfect, that we're going to have imperfections, we're going to have little bumps and little grooves that, that just haven't been knocked off yet. And the cool thing is this, that there was mortar that was used to hold those stones together. And think of the mortar this way. That mortar is like God's grace, right? You have about a quarter-inch gap. You can caulk that bad boy. You have a one-inch gap. It's a little bit harder to caulk, right? You have a uh, quarter-inch gap. You can put some caulk over it, and the, the seams come together. You can paint over it, and nobody even knows it's there. So there's times as a church where we need to be willing to let some of our our little fractures, our little things go and just cover that with the grace. Let that grace be the bond that holds us together because we know that each of us is in progress. We're under construction. Paul talks about a second type of builder, the foolish builder, the one who builds with wood, hay, and straw. These are the motives, the actions, the attitudes uh, that that lead us to things that are going to be burned up eventually. Right When we serve just because, well, I know I'm supposed to. I guess I have to. Or we give because, well, the Bible tells me I have to, rather than being a cheerful giver. Being a cheerful, cheerful servant. Well, I'm going to pray for this, but I don't really want it. Following the leadership of the church, rather than complaining and critiquing. Right? When... When you start thinking it's my church and I didn't like the way you presented that message in my church or I didn't like the way you did that song in my church, we become critiquers rather than encouragers building each other up. These are the things that will be wiped away. And then Paul talks finally about a different type of builder who's actually not a builder at all. More of a demolition man. Talks about the destructive builder and this is what he says. 
He says in verse 17, If anyone destroys God's sanctuary, God will destroy him. For God's sanctuary is holy, and that is what you are. I think Paul has in mind here a couple of different things. One is, I think, those who are actively seeking to tear down the church. The other is people who are unintentionally tearing down God's church. They are unintentionally destroying the local church from within because they're unwilling to, in humility, follow the leaders that God has put in place. In humility, they're unwilling to listen to their brothers and sisters in Christ who come to them and say, I see this in your life. And it needs to change because you're not bringing God honor and glory in the way that you're living. Or all they do is walk around and just complain about this and that and how they didn't like this and they didn't like that and they wish we had this, they wish we had that. And they're unintentionally destroying God's church or sometimes it's, it's just their actions, their attitudes, their motives. Well, I'm going to outserve this person or I've got to make sure that this person knows that I'm serving so that they'll think I'm, I'm super holy. Or even just going into the community and starting to you know, complain about this person at church rather than going to that person one-on-one and saying, hey, I'm really struggling. Um, you don't know this, but, but I need you to forgive me, and, and we got to talk about this issue. We had a hard conversation. We need to work through this. And instead, they end up going out and they're gossiping. And here's the reality is that there's some people who do that unintentionally, but then there's others who may have started unintentionally, and your brother or sister of Christ comes to you, someone comes to you and says, hey, you need to see this in your life, and you need to see that this is not right. And you say, wow, you know what, I'm, I'm sorry, I didn't realize that. That is a great thing. That is the grace of God working in your life. But then there's the, the other type of destroyer of God's temple who says, yeah, I see that, but I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing. Now you've moved from unintentional to intentional. And there's a lot that God has to say about, uh, it sounds harsh, right? None of us likes the idea that God will destroy you if you destroy his local church, if you destroy his mission. But that's what it says. Now again, I want to reiterate, we're not talking about eternity. Go back to verse 15. That is settled. But there are verses, 1 Corinthians 5.5, 5, 1 Timothy 1.20, Paul talks about handing someone over to Satan for the destruction of their flesh. James talks about the sin that leads to death. Excuse me, 1 John. What you have to realize is that God takes his first love very seriously. He loves his church. He loves his people. He takes it very, very seriously. He will defend it. And so Paul's concern for their longevity, not just as a church, but also for the individual believers. He's saying, look, God will not hesitate. It would be better for you to be dead than to continue destroying God's church. And there are times that that may happen. That God may remove you in some way or bring you to a point where your life feels like it's, it's been destroyed so that God can get your attention. And the point of that is restoration. These are hard things for us to hear and to understand. But Paul is, is not only providing them an encouragement of, hey, you, you are building with the right things, you're going to be rewarded. If you build with the wrong things, you're going to lose out on your reward. And if you actively destroy, you have to understand that there will be a severe account for that. You will have to get a, give an account for that. God's not just going to let that go. God's not going to let that go. So I want to encourage you this morning. Which of the three builders are you? What type of material are you building with?
There's one missionary who said this, the work of the gospel will never go deeper than we go, have gone ourselves. This church cannot go any deeper than its individual members are, are willing to go. As a church body, we have to be willing to be the right kind of builder with the right kind of materials. I want to move us to a time of prayer now, and I, I want you to think about some things that, that you would spend some time weighing your attitudes, your actions, and your motives. Whether or not you're moving in the right direction as an individual, and whether or not you're helping this local church move in the right direction. And I, I just want you to, to write some things down as, God, as you feel led, as God leads you. Would you just listen to his Holy Spirit? Are you prioritizing worship with the church on Sunday morning? Are you prioritizing the utilization of your spiritual gifts to serve God's church? Are you being obedient in how God has called you to give financially and support his ministry? I want you to understand this is not about a number, but I would, I would ask you simply this. It's not about 10%. Pray and ask God, God, what would you have me give? And then give it. Give it regularly. And then continue asking God, God, are you satisfied with how I'm giving? God, are you satisfied with how I'm serving? God, are you, are you satisfied with, with my involvement in your church? Are you being discipled? Do you know how to share your testimony? Do you know how to share the gospel? Do you know how to pray? Do you know how to study scripture? If you have questions about any of those, are you looking for someone to walk you through that process? If your answer is yes, I can do all those things, good. Can you teach someone else how to do those things? If your answer is no, get discipled by someone who can help you learn how to teach someone else. If your answer is yes, I can teach all those things, good. Are you doing all those things and can you, will you find someone who needs help learning how to do those things? Are you an encourager instead of a critiquer? Are you there for others? Are you bearing one another's burdens? Are you connected enough to other people to know them and to be known by them? Are you praying for one another? Are you a part of this church breaking down the gates of hell? We've seen five trust Christ this year. That's exciting. You can, you can be excited about that. Just since September, we've seen five men, women, and children putting their trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. Are you a part of that? Are you sharing your faith regularly? Are you having spiritual conversations regularly? What is your next step this morning? Are you inviting people? Are you bringing people? As I said, you ought to, you ought to bring people on Sunday morning because as you have conversations with them, here's the thing. Three out of four people, if you invite them to church, they will come with you. They will come with you. Are you inviting people saying, hey, look, God is present with his people. You've got to come experience worship with, with his people. Because I know when you come, you're going to see him moving. You're going to experience him. You're going to hear from him. Are you bringing people? Sometimes that's the first step. 
most people are not offended if you say, hey, what church do you go to? This is still Texas, right? No matter how many imports we have, this is still Texas. It's still okay to say, hey, what church do you go to? And they may say, well, I don't go to church. Well, man, I'd love for you to come with me. Right there, you've already opened the door for spiritual conversation. Further down the road. What type of builder are you? Are you building with wise things? Are you building with the right materials? Are you being a foolish builder? Or worse yet, are you being a destructive builder? There's a couple opportunities coming up that I'd I'd love to share with you as we move to two services. Some of those things you guys recognize, we've talked about the importance of of our attendance, of bringing people along with us, that they could experience the life change that we're experiencing. Um, you also notice in your bulletin, if you, look at our, if you look at our finances, there are some things there that are not where we expected to be. And, and I just encourage you, are, are you honoring the Lord in the way that you're giving? There's two opportunities in children's ministry right now. Um, praise God, we have almost filled all of our children's ministries. That's the last thing that we have to fill as we move to two services. But there's an opportunity for a first grade teacher, and uh, most immediate need is for our pre-K. Little kids, you'd, you'd be blessed to teach my amazing daughter, Evie. Uh, <laughs> trust me, you will, you will have sermon illustrations for years to come if you teach in preschool. It's a great, fun class. But I want to challenge you guys to, to pray through some of these steps. I know there's a lot here today. And like I said, this is not about River Rock. If I were preaching at First Baptist, I'd tell them the same thing. Serve. Give, share the gospel, be discipled, make disciples, pray, pray for one another, serve one another, be humble, listen to the leaders, do your part. This is not about this church. Don't, don't make the mistake of saying, well, he just, wants, he just wants more money in the budget. He just wants more people here because he this is not about our church. This is about your role in helping build God's church Because we know that God is the one who ultimately gives the growth. But if we expect to experience growth in our personal lives, I believe a lot of that growth comes when we participate with what God's already doing. I want to close this in prayer this morning. And I want us to spend some special time in prayer because, you know, we've been praying for 31 men, women, and children to trust Christ. As I said, we've seen five already since September, which is amazing. Which is amazing. We want to continue to see that. But we understand that we may plant the seed, we may water the seed, but who gives the growth? God. Can we make people come to, to know Jesus Christ? No. We look at our finances, and I understand, hey, um, I can talk about money all day long. I could, I could preach sermons and make you feel guilty and make you give more. But ultimately, or I should say, I could try to make you give more. Ultimately, it comes down to the Holy Spirit. God is the only one who can address our finances. God is the only one who can address our desire to see more men, women, and children putting their trust in Jesus Christ. God is the only one who can lay it on someone's heart to fill those roles serving in pre-K and first grade, ushers, greeters, all the other areas. God is the only one who can do that. We are completely and utterly dependent on him. It's not about us. This is God's church. So I just, I want to get on our knees this morning. If you're able, if you feel inclined, I just want to come before God and and ask him, God,
Don't let us build with the wrong stuff. Don't let us stand before you empty-handed. God, let us be a part of what you're building. Let us build it to your glory. Will you pray with me? Father, we are utterly dependent upon you in all areas of our life. And Lord, we admit that at times we do get distracted. We are fools, Lord. We bring the world's wisdom, the world's definition of success into the church. And we begin foolishly building, or or worse yet, Lord, we begin destroying your temple, your local body, detracting from your overall mission of reaching every man, woman, and child and making disciples. Lord, we come before you this morning as a church and we recognize that 31, God, while it seems ambitious, may be too small of a number for what you have in mind. But either way, Lord, whether it's 31, whether it's 30,000, or just one, we confess our inability to do that on our own because you and you alone can give the growth. God, as we look at our, as we look at our finances, we think about the budget where as elders we prayed and considered how you're challenging us this year to continue to grow so that we can do more ministry we recognize that that is outside of our control and that you and you alone Lord you the earth is the Lord's and everything in it the world and all who live in it Father you own it all you own the cattle on a thousand hills the reality is Lord you own the hills themselves so even in financial provision God we recognize we are dependent upon you. Lord, as we think about opportunities to serve within this church, we recognize that only you can place it on people's hearts to make them soften to the movement of your Holy Spirit that would allow them to step forward and say, I will serve in obedience to the Lord, in humility to the Lord. God, our very next breath depends on you. May we never forget that. Lord, as we leave here this morning, give us wisdom to pursue the things that you would have us pursue. To build with materials that will last. That generations from now, while it may not be the name of River Rock Bible Church, while it may not be our name that is remembered, the name of Jesus Christ would still be going forward. And there would be generations who can say, we are building God's temple. We are joining him on mission. We are, we are continually laying the foundation of Jesus Christ and building upon that. We ask all of these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.